Hey, Mendel here. Today we've got a story from producer Phil Corbett. Here at Future Ecologies, we first met Phil through their music. In early 2021, as the band People With Bodies, they dropped an instrumental album on a podcast email listserv. It went on to define the borderland sound of our four-part series, Goatwalker. Only later did we discover that Phil has a podcast of their own, a brilliant show all about that subtle act of listening. This episode in particular gives words to the feeling of this seemingly endless moment that we're all living through. This is The Wind. The Wind. With Phil Corbett. The Disintegration Loops is a composition by William Basinski. It's a seminal album in the world of ambient and experimental music, and it runs in total 4 hours and 56 minutes. In the 20 years since Basinski made The Disintegration Loops, they've been released in a few different formats. But the version I'm listening to is broken into four discs. This is how it begins. I listen to disc one on top of an unnamed mountain. I guess it's more of a knob, a small peak with some prominence but dwarfed by the surrounding Sierra Nevada. I choose this spot because it's a short walk, and in the thick summer smoke, it seems unwise to climb something that'll get my lungs going too hard. It's just before dusk, and I can't make out the city below shrouded in brown haze. This smoke is from the Caldor Fire, a wildfire south of Lake Tahoe that in the coming weeks will burn over 200,000 acres. It comes what feels like a few clear days after the Tamarack Fire poured smoke into these valleys, burning a sacred place of mine and devouring ridge after ridge of dry pine forest, not stopping as it ran over valleys of aspen and sagebrush. My throat catches as I climb the hill, and I sit down at the very top, hitting play on disc one of the disintegration loops. talk about is the smoke. Where I live, it has replaced the weather, both conversationally and to some degree physically. 
fire has become its own season, largely ousting summer apart from a few weeks just after solstice. I have not had a conversation in over a month that didn't at least touch on the smoke. But really, that's only if you're lucky. Because if you aren't talking about the smoke, it's because a fire has come close enough to talk about that instead. Close enough to your house or your friend's house or your favorite places in the mountains that you watch slowly be eaten by a red line as the Facebook group updates the fire perimeter. This year is bad for fire. This year, I gave in and learned the air quality index numbers. It was last year for my dad. He'd call and say it was 400 AQI at this place in Oregon, 320 at home, only 160 down near Bridgeport. And I'd respond, I don't know what that means. But now, I do. And it's in the high 200s from my perch above Reno, a cold wind battering me from the west. This year feels different. Like the temporary discomfort we all knew in small spats has finally announced it's staying for good. It is hotter than it used to be, it is smokier than it used to be, and it's likely never going back. At least not in our lifetimes. I breathe the music in, and all I taste is smoke. of the disintegration loops has been told many times, so pardon the repetition if you're familiar. In 2001, William Basinski began digitizing his collection of analog tape loops. They were loops of music and errant radio signals that he intended to turn into his own music eventually. Interesting tones that he plucked out of the sky and put onto tape. And then, the tape into storage. Eventually, living in Brooklyn, he set up a tape machine, hooked it to a digital recorder, and began recording these short loops, knowing that the tape would eventually deteriorate. But what he didn't expect is that these short repetitive melodies and fragments of music would begin to deteriorate right then and there. The loops started out fully formed, but as they ran through the machine over and over and over, bits of tape peeled off and the sound morphed in real time. He immediately realized that he was recording the life and death of a melody as it devolved and distorted and disappeared. The day Basinski finished the disintegration loops was a Tuesday. 
September 11th, 2001. We saw the top of the South Tower crack off and fall from my building, and then we ran upstairs. So we turned on the disintegration loops really loud, just went up on the roof and sat there looking at this new landscape. That's Basinski speaking in a 2019 interview for a documentary called Other Music. He and his friends stood on the roof of his Brooklyn apartment building and watched the columns of smoke pour upward from ground zero. He set up a camcorder and filmed the final hour or so of daylight. You know, on 9-11, everything changed. The meaning of everything changed. And that is him in an interview with Cinemacy. Well, I mean, we had just sat there the day before and watched the whole disaster, unbelievable, you know, mind-boggling thing happen. And we were all shocked. And, I, you know, like I managed to get a cassette a videotape and my friend had a camera and she let me put it in on her rooftop. I managed to capture the last hour of daylight as, you know, day turned to night that day, the world changed. I picked up the tape the next morning and imported it into iMovie and then put the first disintegration with 1.1 on there and I just knew immediately oh my god this is an allergy you know this is whoa you know I descend the mountain through the shelf of smoke the hypnotic loop runs in my head long after I've packed away my headphones What strikes me about the disintegration loops is that if you skip from the beginning of a loop to the end, you can hear the difference after the physical tape has disintegrated. Listening in real time, the change is usually too slow to notice, like a frog in a pot. However, on occasion, there is a big change in sound, a missing note or crunches and pops where there weren't any before. Even then, I seem to get used to them, and they began to rewrite my memory of the original melody. Listen to disc two in a sauna. It starts at 130 degrees Fahrenheit, but it's rising and this loop is very uncomfortable. My roommates bought air purifiers this year. They own the house. It's off the highway, about 7,500 feet elevation and deep in the mountainous woods. 
There are about 15-ish houses up here, and this winter the abandoned house next door burned to the ground. Not a wildfire, but instead the neighborhood rumor mill says arson. I was home when it went up. I heard clacking on the roof and went to the kitchen where I found that the light across the brick floor was blood red. Out the sink window was a wall of flames. The entire three and a half story bizarrely cobbled together house was aflame. It's closest part about 20 feet from ours. I evacuated the dogs, some documents, and the cars. Then I ran back down into the house to cart out armfuls of audio gear and instruments. The fire department held it to the abandoned house, and we were lucky to have a metal roof covered in snow. If it was summer, our place would likely have gone up in minutes, along with much of the neighborhood. By the end of the whole ordeal, holes riddled my clothing from the raining embers. My throat hurt as I squatted in the snow and recorded the final hour or so of the house's existence. It's now 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Halfway through the disc, I take a break. The air outside the sauna is cool, but thick. I refill my cup of water and return to the box where it's too hot to tell if the air is smoky or not. Music is triumphant, or at least intense in a way that I can't totally describe. A song to play from the top of a ridge. I more than drip sweat. It actually pours off of my face onto the floor. During this pandemic fire season, Interacting with the world through social media showed a different type of mounting heat. Misinformation, anger, blame, and denial. But I notice especially on Instagram, a new format of post. A frustrated lament of the loss of a season that people used to love, a desperate anger at the clarity and scale of the problem, and in some cases, a poetic eulogy for a version of home that no longer exists. One strikes me in particular, written and read here by my friend, Summer Esther Orr. 
Hello, the wind. This is Summer Esther Orr recording from Paonia, Colorado. When I got here in early August, it was smoky and unbearably hot. And today it is brisk and clear and all the aspen trees are changing colors up in the mountains. I am here for an artist residency through Elsewhere Studios and I've been trying to draw or paint or write every single day. My work during these months of residency has mostly been a deciphering of reoccurring thoughts, premonitions, and fears from the past three years or so. In June of 2021, I drove from Reno, Nevada to Asheville, North Carolina back, about 5,228 miles in total. This would be my first cross-country road trip alone. After driving 10 or 12 hours by day, I would sleep in tents at free campgrounds or on BLM land, or on the couches or floors or spare bedrooms of my internet friends. I ate pretzels and Gatorade for dinner most nights. I drove through 105 degree heatways with no air conditioning, past dried up reservoirs, through dust devils and windstorms, through hail, through flash flooding that I was sure would kill me. I was redirected eight extra hours around the I-70 headed to Denver because it had become impassable from mudslides. I saw smoke from the west coast as I stood on land in the east coast. I swam in Lake Michigan on a clear day as 52 large fires burned upwards of 750,000 acres of land in the western United States. I stopped only once to clean the windshield of my car from bug splatters on the journey back home. I have lived in northern Nevada for most of my life. For me, it has always been a land of clarity of rolling sagebrush and blue alpine lakes, lizards, jackrabbits, and endless space. I'm coming to the realization that I cannot live there anymore, not from choice, but out of necessity. They say the West is burning, that every August you will not be able to go outside. Every season the sun comes back will be more unbearable than the last. So here in Colorado, I've been drawing butterflies and flowers like the ones I used to see when hiking around Battle Mountain with my dad in the spring. I keep wondering what happens to a butterfly when it's caught in a wildfire. Do you think it just flies away? Or does it shrivel up in the smoke, unaware of its own demise? I'm avoiding all other work, all other deadlines. I've been quitting everything. I'm distracting myself with flowers or stamens or the intricate pollination process or seeds or the colors that marigolds produce, or the patterns on petals, on wings, on leaves that I have been seeing everywhere. I'm imagining what kinds of butterflies or birds will be decimated by a two degree change in the weather and what will survive. On Saturday, July 10th at 7.22 p.m., my mom texts me. El mundo está loco. Hace dos días que tembló aquí. Hay mucho calor. Y cerca donde vive ahora, las montañas están quemando. The world is crazy. Two days ago, there was an earthquake. It is so hot, and close to where Auda lives, the mountains are burning. I don't respond. I'm in the middle of creating another species of butterfly that only exists in my head.
I get out of the sauna, my roommates have returned. They're drinking in the kitchen and they tell me they're thinking of selling the house and moving to Michigan. They say, if this is what it's going to be like for three months a year, not sure it's worth staying. I've always had a dream of living in a beautiful place. I listened to disc three in one of them. lay my plaid on a bed of pine needles, back up against their former owner, a huge ponderosa. To my left is a young, tightly clustered aspen grove. I presume a creeping extension of the older grove it fades into upstream. The older grove is adorned with the carvings of sheep herders I've come to know, entirely from their arbor glyphs scratched into the bark on the banks of the creek near my house and my desk. Frugoli and Eugenio Saratea, marked in the 1960s. This is a plot of land a few creeks away from my rented room. A plot of land I very much want to live on. I daydream about it. Building a cabin and driving up the barely passable road after a night in town, or taking the bone-rattling creek crossings on the way to the airport before dawn building a porch, and then sitting on the porch and playing music to the quaking yellow leaves. Inviting friends to stay for weeks at a time, writing by the creek, which is what I'm doing now. But also trespassing. This daydream is illegal. This disintegration loop is heavy on disintegration. It falls apart quickly, and the song becomes punctuated by rough gaps and crunchy silences, and then it more or less becomes rough gaps and crunchy silences, punctuated by what used to be the loop. After what feels like a month of heavy smoke, today is a clear day. Blue skies, a breeze, warm shafts of light puncture the cool evening air, splashing the vibrant green sagebrush, content and glowing from a heavy rain yesterday. 
Though I can vividly imagine my life in this place, I can't begin to imagine the path there. I'd have to be a millionaire, or have a half million dollars, or three million dollars, or whatever number that doesn't even register as a possible amount of money to obtain. The dream seems to disintegrate in front of my eyes, dropping details until it's just one core idea. even want to own it, really. I don't want to amass the wealth. I don't want an investment, especially one at such high risk of burning. I just want to live here, freely. Nobody in charge, just a bed and a wood stove and free reign to walk in any direction I'd like. But that's not how it works. That daydream is illegal, too. It's 9-11 today, 2021. I can imagine this piece looping on a rooftop in New York City as the rubble smoldered, as smoke billowed and ash fell into the night. I think Basinski knew that the world had just changed, and I wonder if standing on that side of it, if he could even think of how. Ours could be the last generation that holds a decaying hope of living in a lush valley in this part of the world. Or maybe it could be the gateway to a new one, where land is not an investment commodity. A world I can't really imagine. I keep accidentally thinking of money. burning of a sacred valley. I have three sacred valleys. One of them so important to me that I don't use its given name. I call it Secret Valley, and though I don't remember it, it's apparently the first place I ever fished. I have a connection to this place that can maybe only be explained by that kind of history. 
Since I've known it, its main meadow has been a seasonal cow pasture, deep with thick grass in the center and completely ringed with imposing walls of pine and aspen. It's skirted on one side by a crystal clear creek and granite faces erupt above the tree line, jagged and stark. Yellow, then white, then brown, then green, then gray, then blue. In July, it all burnt. My pants are covered in soot. Hiking in, it's only vaguely recognizable. My feet follow what they remember as a trail, now ash only partially distinguishable from the ash on either side. It's another smoky day, now well into October and the flat gray light renders my shadow translucent. The pallid ghost crests the ridge and follows me in. Across the creek and meadow, I find myself in a familiar aspen grove. The white bark no longer white. Black, then black, then black, then black, then gray, then blue. The loop suspends me in a warm breeze. We glide together over the scorched soil, weaving through brittle gray toothpicks, hovering and pausing and flowing farther in. I'm delivered to a meadow and lay my plaid on a bed of soot under a burnt giant. Beams of smoky light glint the crystallized sap at its feet. A final attempt at life, now windswept and shiny in the smoke of burning sequoias hundreds of miles away. The forest floor, though, is surprisingly green. Grass and willows especially, green. Springs of something beneath every aspen. Manzanita saplings, green an algae bloom in the creek, my backpack. I set it on its side and lay down in the black sand. I exhale into the gray light, and the wind carries it away through the burnt valley that will never look the way I remember.
Wind is produced by me, Phil Corbett. The music in this episode was entirely The Disintegration Loops by William Basinski, the album reviewed in this piece. I will post a link to the album along with Basinski's interviews on the documentary Other Music and Cinemacy. Thewind.org. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe. And if you want to help get the word out, leave a review or share an episode with a friend. Thank you for being here and keep listening. You can find more episodes at thewind.org and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts.